0: HD Smartcast You are listening to an HD Smartcast original Hi, I'm Ashutosh Garg I'm the author of the best-selling book The Brand Called You And this is our podcast Be Brand Wise Where I bring you the stories of successful people and brands From around India and around the world Here is a great chance to gain insights into how to build big businesses and what mistakes can and should be avoided. Not only is this podcast the brainchild of the brand called You, it is also an HT Smartcast original and it is available on htsmartcast.com, India's fastest growing podcast producing platform. Today I have someone who spent many, many years in the corporate world and has become an entrepreneur. Amar Singh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Amar is the founder and CEO of Clove Dental. He's an MBA from Harvard Business School. He's a mechanical engineer, and he's had a fairly impressive record with companies like P&G, Lambert, Bain, and SAP. Amar, tell me a little bit about your early career. All right. So I uh, you know, did my undergrad in Africa and then moved to Canada for
1: my master's mm-hmm. and for uh, after master's uh, Brockton Gamble came on campus and uh, an impressive company, as you know, a great, you know, with a rich history of training good managers and leaders. So I joined them. Mm-hmm. I worked with them for a number of years in their logistics and transportation, warehousing sector. So not on mm-hmm. the typical brand side, yeah. but more on the delivery side. And because my master's was in operations research, so it fit in my yeah. profile. Mm-hmm. And then after doing that, about three or four years, I then moved to a company called Warner Lambert, which now is owned by Pfizer. Sure. There we were in consumer healthcare space, you know, products like Neosporin, Polysporin, Lubriderm, right. Listerine. So we were working on those products and bringing them to the market. And then I decided, you know, like a typical Indian, you know, engineer who gets convinced that MBA is a good thing for you. Mm-hmm. So my parents and my family kept, you know, saying, hey, maybe you should think of MBA. Mm-hmm. So I figured that if I get into a good school, then I'll do it because I already had a master's. Correct. And, and I think... You know, Harvard made the mistake of accepting me, so okay. so I uh, then I was lucky enough to go there in, from '96 to '98, mm. and it was a great experience. And as you can imagine, it's uh, transformative uh, in many ways. Right? Uh, you meet an impressive group of people. Although I have to say that a lot of my friends thought that after Harvard I had changed, but mm. uh, I think reality is the perception of me had changed mm. more than I had changed. Okay. But then, nevertheless, I, then I ended up working for a software company in Dallas which was in supply chain technology space. So I wanted to, you know, at the time of MBA, I wanted to take a sort of a pivot my career a little bit and move from operations, if you will, into technology. Because okay. in those days, 98 technology. very oh, technology you know, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's how I ended up uh, shifting to a company called Light2 Technologies yeah. out of Dallas, mm-hmm. spent a year with them. And then I got my entrepreneurial back, which we'll
0: talk about later. Uh, yeah. So, you know, after such a pro- successful professional career with some of the biggest companies, what made you become an entrepreneur? And, right. and the reason I'm asking you this is because the thousands of people who listen to us and watch us, there are a lot of people who want to make this transition. Right. I, I think the, for me, it was more
1: of a desire to... I get a kick out of doing new things. Okay. I get a kick out of uh, trying to create and design new things. So if you were inherently, you have a designing bend, if you will, then you, and typically when you're working for corporates, it, by and large, a large part of the processes are fairly standardized. Okay. Of course, there's you know improvements to be made and mm-hmm. changes to be made. But usually, when an organization is well-established, those processes are well-established. You're making micro-changes. It's very rare for you to make transformational changes mm-hmm. on those processes. Right. So, and if you get a kick out of doing those kinds of things, then you get bored mm-hmm. doing the everyday corporate work. Mm-hmm. So, so I guess it was boredom that led me to think about entrepreneurial journey. Okay. The second factor I would say is that in those years, 98, 99, the dot com internet boom was happening. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of my analogy was that, uh, you know, if everybody's playing this game and winning medals and I'm sitting on the side watching them play the game. So my analogy was hey, Yara, to win a medal, you have to be in the field
0: to play the game. Yep. So, so I got into playing the game. Wonderful. Right. So let's talk about Clove dental. Sure. When you decided to get into this space, what was the gap you spotted? Because every colony seems to have a dentist. Right. Well, so let me step back a little
1: bit on terms of my transformation coming back to India. Okay. So about eight years ago, I made a decision to move back to India, which mm-hmm. is after 30 years. And so the thought was, all right, I'm going to... And the reason to move back was that mostly family, mm-hmm. parents, my wife's parents, you know, children, grandparents, all of that typical sort of mid-career reflection uh, yeah. yeah. point. Yeah. And uh, so when I looked at coming to India, I thought if I want to do a business here and if I can find an opportunity that would have some social impact Mm -hmm. while still be a for-profit business. So I'm definitely, I believe that Uh, uh, for-profit businesses can innovate faster often than perhaps non-profit businesses. Mm -hmm. I don't mean to take that away from them, but just only my opinion. And uh, so I chose to look at healthcare and education. Mm -hmm. Those are my two verticals. I also had energy, but really focused on those two. Mm -hmm. And I rejected education for a number of reasons and then looked at healthcare And uh, I looked around. Dental wasn't necessarily on the top of my list, and there are many other fields of uh, medical, uh, you know, diabetic care, renal care, IVF, uh, diagnostics, uh, so and so forth. And I realized that all of them were controlled. You know, it's more of a B two B business where your patient goes to a physician, who then refers them to those practices. Mm. So you're building a brand with the physicians, and building a brand with the physicians, it's it's much harder because you have to bring a lot more to the table for you to penetrate the intellect of the doctors. Correct. Whereas when it comes to dentistry, dentistry is a direct-to-consumer business, mm-hmm. where actually you educate the consumers, you raise the awareness, and consumers come directly to a dentist. Mm-hmm. So therefore, your interaction Is to consumers, so it was sort of more of a B two C business rather than a B two B business. So that was one attraction point of dentistry, Mm -hmm. and typically, like any other B two C businesses, you know, a brand, any consumer businesses, a room for brand is much higher than a room than a B two B business, typically. And hence came Um, close. Hence came close. So so that's sort of the thought process, and the gap really was that you know it is one of those uh, dentistry is or dental disease is the most widespread disease in the country you know nearly 90 percent of indians have some kind of dental disease Mm -hmm. now it's not a life-threatening one Mm -hmm. therefore we often tend to ignore it but it is the most common you know i am pretty i can guarantee you that i wish you never see any doctor but i unfortunately (laughs) will tell you you will see a dentist for sure so therefore every individual will need to have a dentist and therefore, and the second thing is in dentistry, there is a fair bit of capital equipment and capital expenses required. Correct. And there are no loans available. There's no way to finance it. So for dentists who are coming out over the last many decades, mm-hmm. have had no opportunity to deploy the right amount of infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And therefore, they're sub mm-hmm. So therefore, the quality of the services, you know, doesn't quite match up with the capabilities of the world today. Mm-hmm. So we are bringing the latest technology. Right. And so we, our value add really is to be able to bring Capital bring the technology, and then really allow the dentist to do their job that they
0: do so well okay so my next question number is that you know Indians have typically gone to a dentist when they were toothache or they've got a problem, and yet there's a very large cosmetics element of you know dentistry as well. Is the Indian market changing? Well, I would tell you, you know I'm uh, recently going through a
1: personal family situation where we're having a family member going through a cardiac procedure. Mm-hmm. So I would say that Indians for decades never worried about their heart okay. until they had a problem. Right. Now over the years we have a lot more education, awareness, and people are more worried about what they eat. Mm-hmm. You know, cholesterol. Yeah. They get their checks done. Mm-hmm. So yes, Indians are changing. Indians have changed in many other walks of medical science, mm-hmm. and therefore Indians are also dentistry, just another you know another leg of our health mm-hmm. and another aspect of our health. And so yes, the Indians are, are we are changing, mm-hmm. and particularly I would say. The younger generation, because they are much more connected. They are, we you know, on Facebook and Twitter and social media. They are listening from each other. They're hearing, so they're much more aware than perhaps you know my parents were, or even I was yeah. at their age. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the sense of awareness is increasing. And once that awareness increases, obviously, their desire to stay healthy. Mm-hmm. And frankly, you know, your mouth is. Pretty much your gateway to your entire body. Correct. Right. So everything that goes into your body usually goes from your nose and your mouth. Mm-hmm. right? So and, and therefore you uh, it is your entry point. And if you can look at you know, your entry point carefully, Correct. then you have a much better chance of the rest of the body. So I think there's a huge amount of change happening already. Very Interesting. So, you know, you spoke
0: about young people. So I'm going to move to another question which have come later. How are millennials changing your business? Well, in many ways. I think one
1: is that they are asking for, and they understand quality. Correct. They understand, uh, you know, hygiene, sterilization. They know that, uh, you know, in dental, you're dealing with blood and saliva, so your instruments that the dentist is using better be very sterilized. Correct. And unfortunately, that may not be the case everywhere. So, so they're a much more aware. Number two is they are much more conscious about their appearances because they are, you know, taking selfies. They're doing all sorts of, you know, stuff that we never did when we were their age. And uh, so there's definitely a need for awareness is increasing. And then I think the third thing is that they are much more willing to spend you know they're working you know oftentimes you have now both you know young men and women working equally so they have dual income households so they have enough free cash flow at home or you know disposable income as we would call it Mm -hmm. and then they are looking to make sure that they are looking after their looks they're looking after their health so therefore whereas our parents you know and us we probably would try and deflect the problem because our priorities were different and we probably didn't have enough disposable income Mm -hmm you know, to focus on these things. Unless it hurt, we probably wouldn't take action. But today, the younger generation, so, you know, we have people 20 years old, 30 years old, coming and getting their teeth fixed, Mm -hmm. getting braces. You know, of course, we have invisible braces these days where, you know, in fact, we have our own product called Invisi braces, which is an invisible brace where you put it on, nobody would know. That you have a brace on is clear plastic essentially. So while you're correcting your problem, but you're not making into a social awkward situation. So we're getting a lot of younger people saying, Hey, I didn't I couldn't fix my teeth when I was in my early teens,
0: yeah. but can I do it now? So so there's a lot of change happening on the for the positive. And i you know, you mentioned that a little while ago that a very large percentage of Indians have problems in their teeth. Yes. What would be some of the common problems that someone should watch out for
1: yeah well first of all i'll qualify that i'm not a dentist so a dentist, so yeah. therefore my advice is going to be limited from, a business from, business a, from an individual and perspective. perspective yeah so if you think about problems begin with the bacteria in the mouth and bacteria of course comes to us because we eat food and particles of food and get stuck in your teeth mm-hmm. When they get stuck in your teeth, and overnight, of course, like anything else, they will decay, they will ferment, and they will cause, and these are microscopic level organisms. So you have bacteria, and if unchecked, and you know, brushing alone doesn't solve the problem, because you're not reaching, brushing, by the way, just for your trivia, 65% of the tooth surface is covered by brushing. 35% is not, unless you do flossing, because a lot of your surface is in between on the side. So, So therefore, a lot of people don't do flossing which means the bacteria stays. And and then over time, it forms from being decayed into a disease. From there, it becomes decayed. So the first problem that people have typically is gum disease Mm. and bacteria in their mouth, which then leads to cavities, which they sometimes don't realize or ignore. You know, they'll go out and take, uh, you know, at-home remedies. And that then doesn't solve the problem. It only masking it. Mm. Then the problem graduates into a deeper root it goes into your yeah. dental roots and now you end up with the root canal yeah. and then you end up with extractions. You know, so there's a huge progression. It starts from the bacteria mm-hmm. and it goes all the way to extraction. Mm-hmm. You know, one thing I also realized that we should never lose any of our teeth. Mm-hmm. You know, tooth is part of our body. Even at our older age, there's no reason for us to lose any tooth. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas people, you know, often think that it's acceptable. Yeah. So it's changing. Yeah. So, yeah. So
0: I think... Okay. Uh, and my last question on... Uh, before I move to the next segment is cosmetic dental surgery really coming in in a big way see I think cosmetic dental surgery
1: is sort of a misnomer in my viewpoint. right most of the dental treatments uh, have a primary objective of fixing your functional issue Hmm. right so when they talk about braces Hmm. oftentimes you will say braces is for cosmetic reasons yes but really the braces help you align your teeth therefore you chew better therefore you actually have less room for bacteria to grow so there's a lot of medical your gums are not being mistreated so there is a medical reason for you to actually correct your teeth now the cosmetic aspect is a auxiliary benefit it's a secondary benefit of course from a consumer's perspective that might sometimes be the more critical factor therefore a lot of dentists you know use the conversation that hey if i can convince you to get your street daten- uh, straightened for medical reasons let me try and convince you from beauty and look perspective okay. so therefore they label them as cosmetic treatments okay. so the answer is yes cosmetic treatments are growing but we at Clove, our fo- we focus them from a perspective of you know, corrective procedures, yeah. which have cosmetic benefits, mm-hmm. and rather than cosmetic procedures that have corrective. So it's
0: just a matter of how we think about it. Well, that's a very interesting perspective. Yeah. So well, let's move to your learnings as a startup entrepreneur. And I'm sure there will be lots of sure. learnings that you have. So my first question to you is that should a startup entrepreneur go solo or should they have a partner? All right. I think that's a very generic question. And I
1: think every situation is different, first of all. Now, that being said, from I've had the pleasure of working with partners Mm -hmm. and I've had the pleasure of working alone. Mm -hmm. I think fundamental factor, if I take it one level up, is that you need to understand what your capabilities are Mm -hmm. as an entrepreneur, what your strengths are, and how do you actually cover for your weaknesses, Mm -hmm. areas that you don't have. So if you, and it depends on early in my career, I had to find individuals who would come in as partners mm-hmm. because I didn't have credibility per se. Right. I was starting out, right. so therefore I had to bring people with you know with similar skill set, mm-hmm. and therefore I formed partnerships. Mm-hmm. Later in my career, I was able to attract senior talent, people who knew my history and credibility, mm-hmm. and therefore today my board is uh, you know filled with very experienced entrepreneurs and executives who have worked globally Mm -hmm. and uh, you know like Scott Payman who ran GE for India so you know I have individuals like that therefore what that does is it allows me to fill my weaknesses so it depends on where you are what your strengths are what your weaknesses are and how you want to fill those weaknesses so I think it's less to do with solo or partnership Mm -hmm. is to do with What your strengths are and how do you complement
0: for your weaknesses. So tell me, based on your own learnings, and I'm sure you've met lots of startup entrepreneurs. What are some of the basic mistakes a lot of startup entrepreneurs make? Uh, I think we touched on the first one, which is that uh,
1: when you come up with the idea, you are almost, uh, when you're working as an entrepreneur, you are in love, you know, and you have to have, you have to literally be in love with something. And when you're in love with something, you know, whether it happens to be your personal social life or in business, you are oftentimes logic. You put blinders on logic because you're emotional. You're passionate about this idea. So oftentimes entrepreneurs are so ingrained with their idea and the love that they actually stop seeing the challenges and weaknesses. Hmm. So the first thing is, yes, you need to be in love. Yes, you need to have that passion. But at the same time, you have to consciously, you know, be able to stop hmm. and be able to think from a logical perspective as to where you are, uh, where are the gaps? And what are you not seeing? Where do you have the blinders on? Mm -hmm. And therefore you can then quickly find help or find corrective solutions for that. Otherwise, sometimes you go on too long and you realize that it probably wasn't the right thing or you didn't account for some obvious challenges Mm -hmm. in your, you know,
0: So, So that would be the first thing I would say Mm -hmm. in my opinion. Okay. So my next question is on scaling up. I mean, you know, you are scaling up Clove fairly quickly. At what stage should an entrepreneur decide to start scaling up?
1: So I think if you look at the entrepreneurial journey of any particular venture, you have to first you know, come up with the idea. So that's the first step. You think about what problem you're trying to solve. You have to understand the problem very deeply. Mm-hmm. Then you have to understand the solutions that you might bring forward. Then you have to do a test market or let's call it an example or mm-hmm. a test. You actually take, do it in a small setting. For us, it was one or two clinics. You try to figure out, OK, what do we want to do? So you then learn and you iterate. If you will, you change your problem, you change your solutions, you continue to iterate until you have figured out a reasonably well-functioning solution to that problem that you're trying to solve. Mm. Once you figure that out, the step three for me then is you actually start to put some standard operating procedures, right. some templates around some of those key functional areas whether it's you know if it's recruiting whether for us it was about how does the clinic get designed how do we what kind of doctors do we want to hire what kind of dental assistant do we need what kind of a look and feel of the clinic what equipment do we want so there's a lot of you know elements of your design that you put in and you're early and you realize that this equipment doesn't work in this setting or this type of a doctor doesn't work for us you know so there are iterations that you do once you figure it out then you actually start to put certain templates and standard operating procedures that will allow you to replicate them without too much variation. Because as you scale, variability is the one that actually causes you grief. If you can have, if you look at any large group, you look at Starbucks, you look at any, you know, as an example, McDonald's, you can look at any, you know, large centers, they all have a large number of consistent process it because you know there'll be enough local nuances and local problems so you want to be dealing solving those local problems mm-hmm. rather than trying to solve your structural problems mm-hmm. so you actually templatize your structures once you've done that then you have room to scale and what we did was we did that we went from one clinic to about 60 clinics, and then we stopped. Okay. Then we took about a year's worth of break to again go back and re-look and say, okay, whatever worked for us in one or 10 or 15 clinics, is it working for us in 60 clinics? Mm-hmm. We modified our processes, and then we grew from 60 all the way to about 330 or 340 And then we've stopped in the last, you know, four, five months. And we're doing a similar, you know, kind of a resetting exercise right now. And, you know, in this calendar year, we're going to again add another 100 clinics. So, so therefore we are, you know, the ability for us to start, ideate, get uh, it right, Mm -hmm. templatize it, grow, Mm -hmm. then stop. Re-ideate, templatize, grow. Mm -hmm. So that kind of a pattern is what we have found to be... So I think it varies by industry by industry, varies by, you know, if you grow too fast, Mm -hmm. you you can compromise on quality. Mm -hmm. If you grow too quickly, you can compromise on your business model. So, you know, it's a balancing act that entrepreneurs... Mm -hmm. And and if you have good people around you, if you have good, you know, mentors and management team, then you're more likely... Mm -hmm. To, and if you're a good listener, mm-hmm. you're more likely to be able to get those inputs and move
0: to the next level, I think. Amur, thank you very much. Thank it you. Was an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I and mean. I wish Club Dental lots of success. Thank you so much. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to our podcast. You can subscribe to our YouTube channel, The Brand Called You, and never miss any update. For feedback... Reach us on at Ht Smartcast. We are present on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. To listen to more podcasts by the brand called You, log on to www.htsmartcast.com or suno nai Nazari This was an HT Smartcast original. HT Smartcast.